Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back. Happy New Year, Tom and Keith. The front row, no longer the best of. This is actually the real deal. I know you've been pining for us since we last actually appeared together, which was mid-December. KJ, how are you? I'm doing great. Front row version 2007. 2017. Yeah, that too. We're going to have to have, we're we're just going to start right where we've left off, so nothing has changed. Consistency. Consistency. Anyway, uh, your point is that uh, we've now stretched into a third calendar year. We're not quite two full years as a run on the front row, but we are in a third calendar year, which uh, gets us, what, some steak knives or something maybe? Uh, Ginsu, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, been a nice uh, start to the new year. I I, I was, uh, as you know, Keith, I was over in uh, New Orleans for the holidays, which is the typical tradition in my family because my wife's family is all in New Orleans. So uh, that included the... I don't know that I know you didn't watch this actually. The internet viewing of the Cam Akers announcement that he was going to come to FSU. You are correct. And we can talk about that low budget basement sort of TV environment as he made his announcement. But the premise was so that happened uh, on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the men's basketball team opened with a home victory against Wake Forest. And then on Thursday, the women's basketball team. Beat number eleven Miami and demolished, by demolished like twenty five points. And then on Friday, Florida State won the Orange Bowl, and then on Saturday, the men's basketball team upset Virginia in Charlottesville. So that was quite a five day stretch, basically between Christmas and New Year's. And I'm sure we'll focus our attention mainly on the Orange Bowl here and and some men's basketball. But pretty good week for FSU. Uh, five very nice post Christmas presents. Uh, we didn't have to wrap them, didn't have to take the bow off of them. We just had to watch them. And then the footnote to that little five-day excursion or uh, good news fest, if you will, uh, it started with the news about Cam Akers, who broke the news in his interview that Dalvin was going pro, even though we all knew that was going to happen. Even and Dalvin now, what's, what's this now? The recruits are announcing when the college kids are turning pro. So that was Tuesday and then Saturday uh Dalvin made things official which he sh- I'm glad we've talked about this I'm glad Dalvin is going pro. Nobody wanted to be here when he blew out his knee for spring practice or in a meaningless game next year or something. Uh no no need to put more tread on those tires and thank you very much for being a stand-up guy as well as uh one hell of a football player. Phenomenal teammate, uh a phenomenal performer particularly on the big stage although we had talked about his two previous bowl games had not generated the numbers we were used to but certainly in this his his junior campaign his last year uh, when the national spotlight was on when the focus was on uh, he shined and uh, it was an unbelievably impressive performance uh, in the Orange Bowl yeah to do it in his hometown I know less and now depending on which draft guru you want to pay attention to he's the top back in the draft or maybe the second whatever doesn't matter we'll have plenty of time to dissect the draft between now and I don't even know. Is the draft back they in moved April? moved it back a week or so, is, didn't they? Or still weeks? in May? I don't even know. I think it's in Philadelphia this year, not yep. Chicago, I think, as they bounce it around. But anyway, that's for us to, to talk about in the next uh, four months or so. Hard to believe that uh, in just four weeks it'll be National Signing Day, so that's uh, hot and heavy as well. And Florida State is, is closing very well, as they typically do, and they'll probably or there, it appears there's likely to be more good news on that front not that we get into recruiting too much here but not the much, bottom but bottom line is it's and, going to be a good and classic handicapped game. a little bit although uh acres coming on has helped but you know they'll probably only sign what's the number 18 19 the projected number i think they'll get into the early 20s but a smaller 20s. class than normal recalling and remembering there's only nine seniors currently on the on the squad that are or that are uh, leaving dalvin makes 10 uh maybe rod johnson makes 11 we'll see well, and that's a good uh, segue, I guess, back to the Orange Bowl because going into the Orange Bowl, it was billed as one team senior laden, and the other not so much. And lo and behold, it was the uh, the not so much side that prevailed. And you look at the, some of the mistakes Florida State made, and some of them are, uh, you know, Nooney's mistake was certainly critical at that point in the game, but he atoned for it. Uh, but Michigan, for all that, I've, I've never seen a team that had that many seniors on it and breaking 
Jabril Peppers didn't play in the Orange Bowl, but so what? You can put an asterisk in the in the Michigan media guide if you want, but the result's not going to change. FSU's your Orange Bowl champs. I think what you saw with Michigan, though, was when Florida State kept extending that lead, that senior leadership, that maturity stayed. They didn't panic. They kept closing the gap and, and in fact, took the lead. And that's what happens with, with squads that, that have you know veterans. Uh, they don't panic. Uh, they stay the course. Uh, it's a very good Michigan football team. Uh, I think Florida State's coaching staff did a great job of not exploiting them, but but noticing where their weaknesses were and taking advantage of them. And and I thought probably the biggest thing that jumped out of me in that game is that the offensive line performed well consistently. Francois did take some hits. You're going to do that against the number one, number two, uh, whatever category you're looking at defense. But uh, I thought Florida State's offensive line performed very well. I think that was the linchpin. Well, both lines. Agreed, agreed. Which was the storyline going in was that Florida State, particularly its offensive line, had no chance to win at the line of scrimmage. But you would look back and say that Florida State won the battle at both lines of scrimmage. I would agree. Which, which was impressive. And it was also impressive, to your point, about a senior team staying the course and taking the lead, that the non-senior team in that spot was able to come back. Now, you know, th- this will be one of these uh, – the, the stories will be embellished over the years about what uh, – you know, Kermit's reaction on the video says it all, that he was disgusted that Gavin came out of the end zone there. And then you look up the field, and he's flipped the field completely – a pretty nice time for what I think was his first touch. Of I was going to say, think, think about this now. And my first thought was, I thought he was redshirting. Was there never a discussion about redshirting, Gavin? I, I don't know. I thought he was redshirting. We'd not seen him. He, I, I mean, he, I think I was told he played on some special teams. Call me ignorant. I don't remember him making a tackle. I don't remember him making a block. I don't remember him getting flagged for anything. You know, normally if you're a special team player, at some point in the line, you're going to get flagged for a block in the back or or <laughs> something. And, and it was his first touch. I mean, it was like he he just he just appeared there. He was. Well, and secondly, why was he back there? What? Well, they they made they they've liked Keith Gavin from the, now. Keith Gavin had a foot injury or something early in September that's that slowed him down a little bit. But had he been back there before? Uh, I don't recall if he was back there against Florida or not. That's my point. But I think he'd, he'd at least, yeah. What, what an unusual, unique, and in retrospect, genius time to put him back there. Well, he had been, yeah, and you're speaking to the Orange Bowl as a whole. Because he was back there for the entire Orange Bowl. I'd have to look back and see if he was back there previous games or uh, not. Uh, yeah, yeah, again, the Orange Bowl. What we've, uh, <clears throat> one of the things they like about him, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting because we're forever, the fan base is forever going to want to see the next Kelvin Benjamin. We need these six, five guys out there. So Auden Tate starts to emerge and then he hurts his shoulder in the orange bowl. So Gavin plays more, but, but even uh, if you had a conversation with them, I think they would tell you that they're higher on Gavin because he's, he's got a little more athleticism than Auden Tate. He gets in and out of his breaks quicker. Uh, now Tate still has tremendous upside. And then you have George Campbell coming back. So maybe, maybe we'll finally have that uh, big receiver. Well, maybe year. we'll have the argument about which of the big receivers should we should be pulling for. Exactly. How about Jim Harbaugh not calling his timeouts at that last drive? Now, hindsight is always twenty twenty on that. And and then calling them for the kneel downs. Well, that was just dumb. <laughs> I mean, choose your uh, – and dumb's not even the right word, but we'll leave it at that for now. But the, if you're a Michigan fan right now, I think you're, you're probably thinking maybe we should have taken one of those. Uh, one would think. One would think. So what else stood out to you about the game? Uh, Francois. Uh, he goes hot uh, early. What was he at one time? He was three for five for 160 yards or something, and then missed two. Only completed two of his next 12. Again, whatever the number was, a perfect opportunity. Despite the fact that this is uh, you know game 13 of a season, but he's still a redshirt freshman to start so well and then get so cold, but then be able to come back. Uh, I thought was very impressive. And, and I think uh, the other thing, and, and I hate to harp on it, but I just go back to it. If not, but for just barely stepping out of bounds, you know, the last touchdown run of Cook would have been 71 yards. You know, how appropriate that that would be the case. Uh, I mean, when he took off around that end, uh, you know, I, you were on the field, I was up in the box. I said, there's no way anybody can catch him. Hats, hats off to that Michigan defensive back that, that had the angle and was able to at least get down there and nick his heel. Uh, but uh, just just 
I, I was I was in awe is too strong a word, but I could not imagine me walking away from that game more impressed with a running back's performance. Which goes back to the start of our conversation because had he not had that big run, it could have turned into a little bit lackluster for Dalvin. He started hot, but then Michigan's defense got it sacked. But instead, he stole the show in the first quarter with the first drive and then making the catch, got Florida State the lead. And then just when Florida State needed a spark, who shows up again with the long run? It's Dalvin. So, uh, yeah, hats off to to him. It's it's pretty remarkable run if you think about the last few, just the Jimbo era. And I don't know that you and I have talked about it, but Jameis is at the top of the quarterback chart all-time for Florida State. Some people would throw Charlie in there or Winky. I, I would say Jameis is the most amazing I've Probably seen Probably the most play. acclaimed. Then you had Rashad Green, who, you know, he's certainly a top-five receiver. I don't think I would argue that he's the top receiver in Florida State history, but he's on the very, very short list. Now you've had Dalvin Cook, who goes through as the top running back, and you've still got Derwin James on the team. I mean, there's been some football players here the last uh, couple of years. Well, and think about Dalvin. What what did he finish with? About 150, 140 yards shy of the ACC all-time mark. And, uh, oh, by the way, he did it in three years, not four. Now, granted, there was a few more games, and you get to count the bowl games. But if you take the per-game average, uh, he's the best running back in the history of the ACC. Yeah, and I don't think you could – argue about it watching him play it's gonna be fun to watch him at the at the next level as well all right our seminoles.com insider tim linnefelt will join us uh, in a little while and we will continue to break down the orange bowl and florida state athletics as a whole we'll turn our attention to basketball in our next segment and, and appropriately if you're not aware of this uh the the, the folks at madison social what are, will they think of they're next? up to their old tricks again so fsu's uh, men's team plays virginia tech saturday at two and, and conveniently uh the madison social folks are, are going to have a game of for lack of a better term, horse, uh, if you will. They're going to shut down the street, put some hoops up from 11 to 1 before the game, and uh, they're actually, instead of playing horse, they're going to shorten, and I think you're going to spell out FSU is what you're going to do in this competition. But uh, They were if, doing pig. Maybe pig. I suggested they do bacon. That's where I was going. You go from pig to I, bacon for the finals I or I think something. they were worried that, uh, you know, three letters, you can get through the games a little quicker than five letters there. But anyway, if if you beat the folks, and I don't know if it's Matt Thompson or who you actually have to beat that's on the payroll at uh, Madison Social, uh, you get a free drink from the uh, happy hour menu. Then everybody marches together down to the tuck to watch FSU take on Goodness knows there'll be a glass of some time type down there, even if it's an old one. Yeah, nobody commemorates more occasions with with beer mugs and and glasses, pint glasses, than than the folks at Madison Social. So that said, we appreciate their uh, sponsorship as we roll into 2017, and we'll roll to this break and then come right back. We are just getting warmed up here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. I'll remind you that the front row is available on demand after every week's show. You can. Uh, Partake, if you're not listening live, uh, a couple of mechanisms. You can subscribe to the podcast uh, via iTunes or head over to ESPNTallahassee.com and find it in the audio vault. I know that uh, of all the things you have to do in your life, this has got to be on the very short list. Duh. <laughs> How many people came up to us? We were privileged uh, while we were down in Miami to do a, a Thursday night show. Uh, on the network and how many different people came up to us and told us that they listened via the the podcast and via the video stream or the audio stream i, I mean I, it was at least a dozen at that particular function that came up to me personally it was a, it was a big number but that number was smaller than the number of people that came up in absolute awe that they could take a picture with gene deckerhoff this is true because that that is holy moly that, that is, was <laughs> that is a rock star no question uh it's like traveling with a rock star if you travel with gene and uh, good for him that uh, he got to call another Orange Bowl victory for Florida State. Speaking of rock stars, it was about uh, six minutes before kick. Uh, Gene and William were in a segment. I was standing back there. You were already down on the field. And I, I sensed to my left a person standing there. And I kind of turned around. And I said, well, hello, Bob. It was Bob Greasy. 
he just kind of walked into the booth and just kind of stood there. Uh, his son Brian uh, was doing the game next next booth over, and Bob wanted to say hello to Gene. I said, "Well, hold on, just one moment. He'll be in a break. I'll go get him." And sure enough, break came up. I grabbed Gene. They had a little fellowship, and uh, I was just standing there with my jaw open. We, we were talking about this when we were down there for a variety of reasons. But has any professional franchise? Milk the championship from two generations. What was ago, the password? Longer than the the password on the the on the Wi Fi at the stadium was perfect, perfect seventy two. <laughs> and then I mean, everywhere you look, it's like Larry's. I mean, the the pictures around the press box. You know, generally, if you're in a press box, they've got pictures in the like. If you go to the FSU football offices right now, they're updating those pictures regularly of guys that just got drafted in the NFL draft. I mean, so Jalen Ramsey's up there front and center. You walk through there, and it's like, oh, look, there's Jim Kick, and there's Mercury Morris. There's Kuchenberg's cleats. Yeah, exactly. And here's Larry Zonka. I mean, and I can poke fun because I grew up down there as a Dolphins fan. But, I mean, and, and well, congratulations, they made the playoffs this year. But it was 72. I mean. Speaking of undefeated, how about a team that only has one loss, and that's Florida State's men's basketball team. And that one loss, it was sort of interesting because you and I were in New York. That was the game against Temple, and. It was a game that they should have won. They blew a big lead on it. That that said, Temple's a decent basketball team. I don't know what they, they're doing right now. but And FSU had a chance to win that at the buzzer. But the reaction in the fan base was, well, same old FSU basketball team. And I was trying to tell folks, no, not really. I, I've, seen this, I've seen this team. A, uh, they got a couple NBA guys on here. And B, their roster, you know, 1 to 12, 13, 14, they can all play. And that has proven – to be pretty significant that FSU's depth has worn some teams down. But what did Virginia in the other day was Dwayne Bacon. Unbelievable performance. Uh, uh, you were uh, back in New Orleans. I was back in Tallahassee. First basketball game I've not called in probably 10 years. Uh, was sitting at the house. Got there about, about halftime. So I was able to watch the entire second half. We had traveled back from the Orange Bowl that morning, early afternoon. And, and just sit there in amazement because I didn't miss much of Bacon in the first half. What, he scored four points in the first half and then 25 in the second. In fact, I think he scored, what was the stat? He scored 25 and Virginia only scored 26. It was something like that. And, and he's the uh, ACC player of the ACC week. ACC player of the week. Um, just an unbelievable performance. Gene often says that, you know, you can just take one look at him and he's a 30-point game waiting to happen. And bingo, against a top well, 10, top 20 team, he scores 29 at their place. He could be a 30-point scorer if that was what he was called to do. Right. I mean, I think when you look at the first half, second half thing, it's not that he's a slow starter. It's that in the first half, he's running the offense as best he can. He's getting everybody else involved. And then in the second half, if you need a little bit more offense because the first half plan didn't work out, just give me the ball and I'll shoot it and I'll fill it up. I mean, he could score 30 a game, no problem. And, and that is an, a, a very, very good Virginia club. And I think uh, uh, Bennett had lost, as a head coach, had lost maybe four games in five years in that arena, uh, JPJ, as we call it, John, uh, John Paul Jones Arena. Uh, I mean, that, that's a huge win. And as evidenced by Florida State moving up six, seven points, uh, six or seven spots in, in the rankings, uh, it's recognized as a big, big win. Well, and it doesn't get any easier because this is a – Tough, you know. There's no, you're not going to pick any four games on the ACC schedule and and not think that it's at least moderately difficult. Chances are it's going to be classified as a tough stretch. But this really is a brutal start for Florida State in terms of who they play. That said, that's why it's important that they're two and zero right now. Virginia Tech upsets Duke last week. They come to town two o'clock this week. Uh, that's that's not a gimme. This is not a Hokies basketball team. You just pencil in a W. Then Duke comes to town. There'll be a great atmosphere for that Duke game. And of course, the, one of the things will be surrounding that is whether Grayson Allen plays or not plays. Uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, he's still, by my stories I've read, indefinitely suspended. Uh, and then, of course, the added thing with Duke is Coach K having that back surgery. Um, a lot of the national media are making a big deal out of uh, is it Capel uh, mm-hmm. who's going to step in as the interim head coach. I remember when Coach K went out, was it 10 years ago, 12 years ago, quite it's a while like, back. It's like 20 years ago now. 20 years ago now. Uh, and, and there wasn't a lot of fall off. I mean, it, it's, you know, the Duke program is the Duke program. Uh, but that will also be an interesting side story. So so Saturday at 2 at the Tuck is going to be interesting. And then Tuesday evening uh, absolutely should be a sellout crowd with with unbelievable energy as the Blue Devils come into town. Going a little bit bigger picture on the basketball team right now, Bacon is – 
you know, he came back to get better and he's gotten better. And so enjoy him because he's not going to be around after this year. The depth is something that's been impressive. X has played well, and C.J. Walker and Trent Forrest have really been good behind him. C.J., I like the the moxie that both the freshman guards play with in Walker and Forrest. Both of the freshmen have added something else that, that maybe you haven't picked up on, and that is the fact, and this happened in the Wake game. You know, Wake went up, what, 8-0, to begin the game uh, because Florida State starters, of which is X and Bacon and, and Terrence Mann, were not playing well. And though he was down 8-0, whatever it was, Leonard immediately put the two freshmen in for defensive purposes. For defensive purposes. You don't find freshmen playing defense in this league. Those two can. And their defense resulted in some transition opportunities, which Florida State took advantage of. That goes back to the loss at Temple that we were discussing earlier, not at Temple, but against Temple. Because Temple got hot and... After that game, Leonard said to us, and just think about this because I was surprised he said it this way. He said, our best offensive players are not our best defensive players. And so the next day when things were a little tight against Illinois, he deferred to the freshmen in Forrest and Walker, and they were in there. And they, Trent in particular had a stretch where he had two steals. I remember this vividly. It, it basically keyed like a 6 or 8 run that, that wound up winning the, the Illinois game. And but but to your no, you're 100 percent correct, 100 percent correct. Yeah, and, and you're right that the freshmen are setting the tempo, but but it is a good uh, defensive club. I mean, the, the defensive effort is back there because that's Bacon has gotten better defensively, X has gotten better defensively. Those freshmen, and how about Ojo as an unsung guy with what he's doing? You know, we've had this conversation, uh, and and there's no way for me to say it without it sounding absolutely disparaging against Ojo two years ago. But there were times when Ojo first came in the program. You were embarrassed for him. The mistakes that he would make and the way he controlled or didn't control his body, the fouls that he committed, the way the fouls happened, you're just going, oh, my gosh, you know, for such a likable guy and so physically impressive standing still, uh, how in the world could he be this bad of a basketball player? That is not the case this year. He, he by, by far, he, he's the most improved Florida State basketball player in the history of Florida State basketball, in my opinion. Uh, he, he can be a presence defensively and on the boards. He's going to get fouled occasionally. Now he makes his foul shots. And though he's not a gifted offensive performer, you know, he's averaging five or six or seven points a ball game, not because he's shooting 12 times. You know, he has really he's become a, a, a yeah, difference he's, maker. He's, he's made a difference. So let me ask you this, because we've, we've talked about uh, a lot of the, the positives going on, and I don't want to cast this as a negative because it's certainly not. But Jonathan Isaac has slowed, slowed down a little bit, uh, and he's tremendously talented and, and does a lot of things other than score that make him a really, really good player. I mean, he's, I think he's leading the team in rebounding right now. Uh, he can handle the basketball. So do you think it's just that his personality is such and maybe the combination of his personality slash there's other veterans that can be the scorers that he's just laying back? I mean, he's not a guy that's going to take 15 shots a game right now, but if he did take 15 shots, I have no question that you know his average would be fine in terms of what he's scoring. I think we have to be sensitive to the fact that he suffered that injury, that hip flexor. And I've not asked anyone, but I suspect that might have been the first type of injury he's ever had in his career. So two things happen. Number one, uh, your body has, quote, unquote, let you down, whether it's a little bit or a big part. You're, you're, You're 18, 19 years old, and for the first time, you've had an issue with your body, plays with your mind. Second of all, the coaches are now treating you differently. They set you out for a game or two. They, they take away some of your practice time. They tell you to spend more time in the training room. You, you now become best buddies with Sam Lunt when you used to be best buddies with, with Stan Jones. That whole part of that psychological is what's happening to him, in my opinion, and you just play your way through it. Uh, and, I, and I think by all accounts, his attitude and his work ethic – uh, is such that he will do just that. He will just play his way through it and get his con- regain his confidence. Yeah, I don't. Know. I mean, he's too gifted a player not to. It was. I was disappointed that he missed his free throws at the end of the Virginia game, which is really what opened the door for Bacon to have to hit that three. But remember, Isaac did hit the free throws against Florida. Now that's home crowd versus away crowd, freshman type thing. But he's he's got a really good stroke. Uh, you you don't think that there's any chance 
that we see him next year. I think the chances are slim and none, and slim has already caught the bus. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I think, too. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just suggesting he, he's an NBA player all the way, but he's not going to have the numbers that say 18 points and 12 rebounds per game when he declares because that's not what he's asked to do on this team. Well, and I don't know that that's what he'll be asked to do. If He'll be asked to do that at the next level. Uh, I, I, you know, the way the NBA has become, there is no such thing as a number five. Uh, your four has got to be able to shoot threes. And candidly, what what does he at three? He's a three when he gets to the NBA, isn't he? The way he can handle the basketball. So you know he's going to be playing out around the perimeter. So the well, ability he can shoot the three too. Exactly. But my point is, he doesn't need like other players that are kind of slender. He, it's not like he needs to put on forty pounds in order to be effective at the next level. Uh, that's not going to necessarily be required of him. Uh, what I hope happens is that he enjoys his time at Florida State and he continues to perform. We, we Florida State does not need him to score 18 and, and have 12 boards to be successful this year, in my opinion. But they do need him to be effective when he's in there and to play defense uh, to complement everybody else that's in there. And uh, you didn't ask this part of the question, and I'm by far, by far not an expert. But I don't know that he's a – I don't know that he's a lottery pick. I don't know he's a top 10 pick. He's certainly a first-round pick. But uh, I, I would say right now, if you looked at Bacon and you looked at uh, Isaac, you'd probably take Bacon before you take Isaac, despite the upside. Well, and that sort of is at the, the crux of the question. Because I think when he got to FSU, he was projected as a lottery pick. Based on what I've seen, and I, you know, the NBA guys are looking at completely different than you and I do. Uh, you know, maybe he's more mid or lower half of the first round. That's why I threw that question out there because I, I don't think there's any doubt that his ceiling is up here and that he is that type talent. No question. But who? There, we also are two games into the ACC season, and he's he's liable. And we've to, already proclaimed him the national player of the year. Yeah, and and he's taken a week <laughs> off, and there's gonna be there's gonna be a game or two, or three or four or five or six, where maybe somebody's found a way to slow bacon or X, and so you need a key shot, and the ball's in the hands of Jonathan Isaac, and he's the guy who takes the shot. And, the and let's remember also, you, you're, How about the fact you're not going to go 18-0 and 0 in the ACC during the regular season, so there's going to be some losses and some back-to-back losses sometime down the road. Remember, what was it, eight years ago, or however many years ago it's been since Tony Douglas, when Florida State needed a shot, there was no question that Douglas was the guy that was going to take it, handle it. The other four guys were not anybody that the opposition was worried about. Now you actually have a team that, you know, if you take away Bacon, you've got X, and if you take away X, you've got Isaac. And we never even mentioned Terrence Mann, who is the unsung guy of this team, who just does all the, the blue-collar stuff and is as key as any. He's probably the MVP. Well, Bacon's the MVP, but, but Mann is right there. I keep talking with Gene, and particularly when they're on breaks or before or after games. Like we keep referring – I keep referring to Terrence as the garbage man. You know, he's there to just pick up, clean up and everything. But but that's a derogatory type term. I mean, he, he is a very accomplished basketball player that if he were a football player, we'd call him a heady football player. He's always around the ball. If you want to know where the ball is, watch, yeah. watch man. Football analogy, basketball analogy, he's just always doing the right thing at the right time, which goes back to the, the cliche, the absolute cliche. But why are cliches cliches? Because they're true. He's the son of of a coach now in his case it's his mama i'm not i don't know his daddy's background but his mama is the head coach at rhode island university and he he is the son of a coach and he plays just like someone that's been around a gym all of his life that was a lot of basketball talk that that may have set a front row record see what happens when the team climbs six seven spots in the polls makes it easier doesn't it it does, but uh, hopefully we get a, a packed Tucker Center 2 o'clock on Saturday for that game against Virginia Tech, and then uh, Duke comes up on uh, Tuesday night. So less than a week, we've got two big games. Tim Linnefelt, uh, speaking of All-Stars and MVPs, our Seminole.com insider has, he's, you know, a little, little quick story before we go to break. We did those best of shows at the end of December, and I think we hurt his feelings that we didn't include anything from him. And I tried to express that. Well, that's because what we talk about with you is it's always timely. It's dated. I, like we're previewing games. There's no evergreen. Last week, this week. There's no evergreen. So I did promise him that at some point we're going to have him on and we're going to do an evergreen. Maybe it's the history of FSU so that the next time we have a best of, we can include Tim Linnefeld. He'll join us next here on the front row.
Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Back on the front row, and it is time to hop on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring our future together. And Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, is back. We've got uh, no more bad company because uh, the season is is in the rearview mirror. They're but on, that's they're on vacay. I mean, but, you know, now that, um, amongst us girls here, that's this is an upgrade. So we appreciate it. Tim, how are you? Oh, no, it's not. I'm doing good, Tom. How are you? <laughs> well... Tim and I would would classify it as an upgrade. I feel confident. I still like bad. You still well. I didn't say dislike bad comedy. I'm just Leonard. saying I'd, I'd default that way. Who did you see on your visit to Alabama? Air supply or something? Who was it? <laughs> Who was it? They took you to? <laughs> no, it wasn't air supply. <laughs> Little River Band. Who was in town? I'm not telling you now. It's somebody in that genre. Uh, but it? I'm not telling. Yeah, you. it's going to come to me before we finish this. All right, Tim, how you doing? No, I'm doing doing really well. I'm, try, I'm just trying to piece this together. Who who all Keith's favorite were back in the day? Yeah, okay, with Chicago. Chicago. And, and in fairness, we will put Chicago a couple rungs above Air Supply there in Little River Band. I mean, we'll give them their due. Uh, Tim, thank you. First of all, Jimbo wanted to send a. Uh, he actually sent a note here to the studios to to thank you for changing your walk up music because that proved to be the difference in this season. I thought so, and you know, I thought he might mention it during any of his press conferences or media availabilities last week when everybody was asking, you know, what, what changed, what was the difference, and and I, I thought he might give us credit for it, but but I understand he probably thinks that was a little bit outlandish, so he went to the usual answers, and and that's okay, but we all know the truth. We do, we do. So we'll keep that amongst us. Uh, so thirty three, thirty two in the Orange Bowl. The, what that was. Uh, despite the fact that Florida State almost let one slip away, and this is what makes it even more enjoyable. Uh, that was a heck of a football game. No, it really, really was. Uh, you know, the first, second quarter, it kind of looked like Florida State might win by two touchdowns or more, and, and I think we were all surprised by that. And give credit to Michigan for coming back, but, I mean, quite honestly, and I think you can say this now a little more easily knowing how the game turned out, but if Florida State doesn't throw that pick six uh, later on in the game, I'm not sure that it ever gets that close because they've been, I mean, and maybe so, because they've been hemmed in. Michigan had done a great job flipping the field position, and Florida State couldn't seem to get out of its own end zone. But uh, but Michigan's offense hadn't shown the ability to, to really move the ball consistently or score a touchdown. And so my attitude at that point was, until they score a touchdown, I'm not going to be too nervous here. Uh, and, and, of course, I wasn't planning on a defensive touchdown, and that sort of flipped things on its head a little bit. But you know, I, I thought Florida State was unlucky not to win by more. Uh, certainly uh, an outstanding win for them. I, I think that we could say pretty definitively, I'm comfortable with this, that, that Florida State was the better team at least on Friday night, and I'm not really sure that it was all that close. Anybody watching the game, the complete game, I think would, would echo that. I mean, you take uh, Nooney's fumble, that was three points. The pick six was seven. The uh, block extra point was two. That's 11 points. You win by one. That's 12. Florida State should have won by double digits, almost two touchdowns. Um, Tom and I were talking earlier. I made the comment, and, and Tom rightfully corrected me that I wasn't complete in my comment. But Florida State, I thought, offensive line dominated for the most part. And Florida State's defensive line, I think, really showed itself. Uh, Florida State won this game at the line of scrimmage. Oh, and that was the most jarring thing, wasn't it? You know, I thought coming into the game that Florida State was going to have an advantage athletically and, and at the skill positions. Uh, I thought that they might struggle, especially on the offensive line with Michigan's defensive line and, and, and they're just their front in general. And those guys made plays, you know, the, the one where Taco Charlton hit DeAndre Francois and knocked him down for a while. It seems like we get one of those at least once a game, but I, I don't know if you remember the play that you can really blame that on the offensive line. There certainly wasn't anybody blocking him and, and judging by the reaction after the play, uh, it was either Dalvin Cook missing a blitz pickup or Dalvin Cook releasing to, to be sort of a valve there and DeAndre Francois just not getting rid of the ball. So he got tattooed. Uh, which is not good, but I, I don't think that was an offensive line problem. And that, that seemed to be the case more often than not. When DeAndre was under pressure, yeah, it wasn't necessarily a lineman's fault. Otherwise, they did a fantastic job, certainly in the in the run game, where uh, we all know what Dalvin Cook can do. But uh, you know, there were some pretty pretty nice sized holes that he was running through, and he doesn't need much. Uh, so yeah, to me, that was really startling, both on offense and the defensive line. Demarcus Walker, you know, we probably shouldn't be surprised anymore. 
uh, when he has a big game. Uh, I don't know who we are, but Josh Sweat, I thought, you know, he, he had the one sack on Fulton State that was a huge deal down in the red zone, really kind of changed the complexion of things and just looked really violent. Um, so, yeah, no, and, and to me, that's what, you know, if Florida State is, is going to compete for national championships, that's where they're going to have to do it. When you, you know, you watch the playoff game, you watch Alabama play Washington. I don't know if you were able to see it or not. I mean, that game, they, they could still be playing another, you know, another four or five quarters or whatever the case may be, and, and Washington wasn't going to score. They, they just were getting dominated up front. Uh, that's the standard, you know. You have to be able to do that. And so for Florida State to go against a team, at least with a reputation like Michigan had this season with, with being so good up front, uh, to me that's a really, really encouraging thing. We all knew what uh, DeMarcus can do, but I, and I haven't charted the plays, but I, guys, I think he probably took a third of his snaps uh, from the five technique, maybe even the three technique, they moved him inside, brought Brian Burns in, kept sweat on the outside, and, and nobody could just nobody could stay with Walker inside, Tim. And, and uh, you're right, and I, you know they've been doing that for a lot of the season. And I wonder again if they like that just from a matchup athletically. He did so well beating some of the bigger interior linemen this year, and I wonder if they looked at you know Michigan's line and said, hey, you know you guys are big and strong and not not all that unlike the the game 25 years ago that was hyped as as speed versus strength and said, okay, well we got a guy here who's who's pretty darn strong but he also is going to blow your guy off the line uh and, and and be in the backfield before you can really get a look at him and yeah, no you're right, it, it worked magnificently. I do think, you know, they're obviously going to miss the Marcus in that respect because you know being able to have him inside with Josh Sweat and Brian Burns on the outside is a, is a, is a pretty nice luxury. Uh, and when you throw Derek Noddy in there as well, so uh, yeah, that's a, that's a cool little quirk. I don't, I don't know if, if we'll see Demarcus do that much at the next level, but uh, you know, to me, the other the other side of that is the fact that Florida State still has some really talented defensive linemen with Brian Burns and Josh Sweat. Burns, especially, I don't know how he could be any more excited for the rest of his career. And, and Josh Sweat, uh, once he was able to, I think, fully recover from the knee injury, uh, one the one he had in high school, and then when he when he re-injured or, or what have you, whatever the case may be, was this earlier this season. Uh, he seems healthy now, and, and you know he showed flashes of what he's capable of uh, too. So uh, that pass rush should be set for a little while. Well, so let's do this because uh, you can only talk 2016 so long, and you know we'll milk it for a week, and then all everybody's going to do is talk about signing day, spring game, and 2017. So we might as well start it right now because there's already optimism again. Which middle of this last season, I don't think anybody was very confident that we'd finish the year and be optimistic about 2017. But they ran the table, beat Michigan. They're going to finish. What probably number six in the country? I, uh, I was thinking. Yeah, I don't. I don't know because USC, Penn State was five and Michigan was six, so we'll see. I mean, I guess there's a chance they could get to five, but the way USC won that game, I think they'll probably be at five, and FSU will finish six. Anyway, if you go segment group by segment group, I want to see if we're all on the same page on this. So, if you look at the secondary next year, it's going to be better or worse. Better because Derwin James will be back. And if you look at the linebacking core next year, it's going to be better or worse. I think it'll be better. You'll, you'll, uh, yeah. I mean, you look at what Matthew Thomas did in that Orange Bowl. Uh, I think he's another guy that came on really strong. I think, and, and he, and he announced. I don't know if you saw that he's definitely coming back next year. I think they'll be better. And so, defensive line, better, worse, or the same? I think the same is probably good. I might even say worse. Uh, worse feels a little harsh, but it's hard for me to say that they're going to be better without Demarcus Walker. You know what I mean? Right, so that's two out of your three segments, and maybe the line, what we're hoping is, if the line could play at the same level, we'd certainly take it, but maybe it's a small step back because you don't have DeMarcus. So then you look at the offensive line, and as we're talking, we don't know if Rod's coming back or not, but are you going to say the offensive line? He has any sense he comes back. Are you going to say the offensive line is better or worse? Yeah, if he's back, better. If he's not, worse. How's that? Okay. Tight ends? Should be better. Quarterback? Better. Receiving core? I think better. Running back. Worse. Has to be. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, so bottom line, you look, you're looking at all those segments, and we haven't talked special teams. And, oh. and, and let me go back to the receivers real quick. I don't want to diminish uh, Bobo Wilson and Kermit Whitfield. You're going to lose both those guys. Uh, and they've done, uh, you know, I thought a really nice job, and, and both have sort of maximized their career. So I, I think they'll be missed, maybe especially in the early goings, although Florida State was, was lucky in a sense to get used to life without Bobo midway through this season. I do think that group will be better, but I don't, I don't mean that to, to diminish the guys that, that they're going to be losing there. Well, let me broaden it then, and so we'll say offense overall, better or worse? I think, I think better. How about, how about we do it this way? Passing game versus running game. Yeah, I think, I think the passing game will be better. I mean, gosh, uh, you guys we expect to have Travis Rudolph back for another year. 
you see not what Nyquan Murray was able to do uh, just in his his limited action. I think another spring, another fall camp under his belt to to get more, you know more up to speed with the consistency that's required. You, you've seen what his top level is, so I think you got to be really excited about that. And then you know get Keith Gavin involved uh, even in special teams, but. You saw, I think, athletically what he's capable of, of get him more involved. I think the passing game is going to be uh, really good. And especially, I mean, that, that goes for DeAndre Francois, too. It's easy to forget that he was only a redshirt freshman starting in his first season. But, uh, you know, and he didn't have a great game in the Orange Bowl. But, man, the, the two touchdown throws he made were, were really nice, especially the one at the end of the game. So it's, it's, it's almost the same kind of thing. Uh, there are consistency issues here and there, sure. But, but when he's on, uh, he looks really good. And so it's a matter of maximizing that. So we're all pretty much in agreement. There's there's reason to be optimistic, excited about 2017. Now the schedule obviously includes a trip to Clemson and a small little game against that team from Tuscaloosa to open things up in Atlanta. You also get Louisville at home. I think the uh, the other coastal opponent next year, I believe, is Duke. Wanna... Duke, right? It's, it's at Duke. It's at Duke. Uh, and in the new stadium. Obviously, you got to go to Florida too. So the schedule's not light. It, in my opinion, it's maybe. Uh, and light's not the right word. It's maybe a tad easier next year than what it was this year, but uh, who knows what happens between now and then. The bigger, the biggest thing I wanted to bring out in this whole conversation is to me the the one area, and I know people will haggle about the offensive line and this and that, but the special teams are not as good as they should be for a program like Florida State, in my opinion, the last few years. Uh, I'll take the, the place kicking out of it because the kickoff coverage is pretty good and the field goal extra point thing, despite the missed PAT at the end, has been pretty good. Which, by the way, I, I haven't gone back and re-looked, but at the replay, I'm not sure that PAT would have been good, even if it hadn't even been, if it had been Right. But the bigger thing to me is the punt coverage was abysmal this year and the punt return game was not very I mean it was not good once Bobo got hurt so what what's your take and and I feel like Florida State and I'm saying this after Keith Gavin had that huge return should be getting more out of his kickoff returns too uh of late but uh maybe maybe I'm overstating it what do you think Tim no I think special teams have been an issue for really a while and and look you know that sort of thing has to drive Jimbo Fisher nuts right I mean he he loves the idea of, of hidden yardage and then the you know, the yards you, you gain by catching a punt or that you lose by not catching the punt, that sort of thing. So uh, I, I think that's probably pretty tops on his, his priority list. But no, you're right. The the punt coverage has not been great. And, and the, the average is skew a little bit because they had the, the long one given up. Uh, I guess a couple long ones against Louisville. And two of those will put you at the bottom of the country for the rest of the year in terms of the statistics. But but you can watch it and see. And, and I don't think you need to take place kicking out of it. You know, field goal kicking was an adventure this year, even with uh, two true freshmen punting uh, in that uh, in the bowl game, especially was a bit of an adventure as well, and that was kind of contributed in the second and third quarter to, to Florida State having bad field position for a large portion f- of the game. Yeah, I feel like the punting is where it's the most noticeable because in that game when FSU couldn't get first downs, Michigan was completely flipping the field, and FSU could never flip it back because they can't get a fifty-five or sixty-yard punt. You're happy with a thirty-five-yard net, which is not doing you any favors. Right, exactly. And so, you know, that, that, that has to get better. And it's hard for us to say, you know, special teams need to get better. Okay, but, but, but because they're, they're, they're all under the umbrella of special teams, but it's all different aspects of things, and some, I think, are, are a higher priority than others. Uh, you know, you like to think it will get better. Again, those, those, the two main guys you have a special uh, in the kicking game were, were true freshmen, so you like to think that they'll get better. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the, what the other kick return situation is. I I think we probably need to explore options outside of, of Nyquan Murray at punt returner as good as he is with the ball in his hands. But the top priority has to be fielding it cleanly. I mean, that could have been a disaster. And then and we like Keith Gavin back there. That was, a, that was a cool play. But, you know, you guys have been watching football long enough to know that, I don't know, what, nine times out of ten, if not not more, a play like that where a, where a guy delays. and then Inside comes out. the 15. I mean, that's, that's a disaster. Yeah. Inside yeah. the 15. And Florida State probably loses that game uh, under normal circumstances in that case. So, see, I, I think that's got to be really frustrating uh, for, again, for Jimbo Fisher, but I think it's also, if you're a fan, I, I, I don't blame you for being frustrated. It really is sort of inexplicable why Florida State hasn't been able to be, do better on special teams, especially because, you know, when, when they were winning the national championship and ACC titles, they were so good at it. Right. Uh, and, and so, and that was a really big part of, of what they were able to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, all, all I can say is I'm sure it's got to be an emphasis uh, moving forward. And, and, and with uh, with Kermit Whitfield and Bobo Wilson no longer in the mix, I imagine it's going to be an open casting call this spring for guys who can, you know, you know, number one, can you catch the ball? Good. All right, let's go from there. And then, you know, can, can you make something happen once you have the ball? 
you know, we, we, can, we can assess. But number one, you have to be able to come up, save those yards that you, you would lose by letting it bounce and, and catch the thing. All right, we have uh, exceeded our time limit already, so the rapid fire is going to be even uh, more rapid than usual. We're not going to play back uh, any grades from previous questions, Tim. We're going to save those, compile them uh, for next week. So we've got the report card comes out next next week. next week the is first we'll one of the year. Card. But here's a few okay. questions to just. Uh, we're going to give you a few more chances here. So are you ready? Okay. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Rod Johnson is coming back or turning pro. Pro. Travis Rudolph is coming back or turning pro. Going back. Clemson or Alabama? I like Clemson. Florida State's men's basketball team plays Duke and Virginia Tech before we'll talk to you again. So over, under, one and a half wins. Under one and a half. There will be coaching staff changes, which could mean just one coach uh, or multiple on the football staff. I don't think so. No. Tucker Center attendance this Saturday against Virginia Tech, over or under 9,500? Over. Steelers fin Sunday at 1. Will the Steelers cover that 10-point number? Ooh, I think so, yeah. Dwayne Bacon points combined in the Virginia Tech and Duke games, over or under 41.5? Over. Oh, you're going. You're rolling. Whoa! With, confidently, he rolls with the ACC player. Of the Forty-one week. and a half. No, but you kidding me? I, I would. I, I'll give you some more on that one. R- you want to talk the number up? What number you want us to get to? No, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going crazy. I just want you to know that if, if you're asking me if he's going to score twenty-one points a game, I think he can do that. All right, we'll we'll grade you next week, Tim. Appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll see you. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Lunafeld on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. We'll step aside, come back, and uh, chew on some of uh, that discussion, or continue the conversation after this. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Back on the front row, we have uh, rapidly moved through the. First edition here of 2017. Lots to talk about. Yes, sir, you're but raising your hand. If, but if you want to go back and relive the Orange Bowl, go to Seminoles.com and find they have taken the, the videos of the highlight plays and overlaid Deckerhoff's radio call. And it's a good three, three and a half minutes that will get you re-excited get you yeah. about the Orange Bowl. Go back and check that out at Seminoles.com. And uh, as always, we appreciate our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, joining us. And, and as promised, I mean, if he goes back and actually listens to the full hour, he'll know that I'm on record that we're going to have to include him in the next best of. So we're going to have to find a slow week and put that in the can. Understood. All right, Clemson, Alabama. We asked Tim, what do you think? I like Clemson. Uh, I, I was not in shock, but but sat there almost in disbelief that Clemson's defense i knew ohio state was a little bit inept but for clemson to shut them out completely first time urban meyer has been shut out as a head coach in 190 195 games uh very impressive so i think we might end up with a very low scoring almost alabama lsu type of ball game for the national championship and i just i like clemson's chances they they've played with a chip on their shoulder and they've played like they had a chip on their shoulder and I think Deshaun Watson, uh, Deshaun, is is the difference. And, and I agree. And so, surprise, surprise, you, Tim, and I, the uh, ACC guys, are, are all picking the ACC team. Well, uh, the ACC sits eight and three right now in bowl games. So, regardless of the outcome of the Alabama Clemson game, ACC will be the bowl game victors if you if you count that as a the statistic. most successful uh, season in ACC bowl history. I think it's. I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as last year when it's forty five forty. But I don't see it being. 17 10 20 to 17 because See, i do i i think it might you make you're probably right but i think it might i think you know that was sort of the projections on uh michigan florida state was that it'd be 2017 and it ended up being 33 32 and i see a similar thing there uh because the one thing watson can do well there's a lot of things he can do but he, he can run to get him out of some trouble and obviously he's, he's pretty good at throwing the football too i think it's gonna be an entertaining game though i agree i wholeheartedly agree i'll be uh tuned in 
Keith, you and I are going on a date on Sunday night, by the way. I am not holding hands. Uh, and I'm. Uh, are we going Dutch on the popcorn? No, I'll buy the popcorn, but I am not holding hands. Okay, fair enough. The Bowden uh, Dynasty documentary is Sunday night, and I waited too long to get tickets, so we, we're not actually going to the premiere. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to the, the second, second show. show. The second showing, yeah. That's how we rate. That's how we roll. So, which means I'll be tired all week because the second show is like. And at Bobby's 9:30. up in Bobby actually up in Bristol today, uh, doing the, his version of the car wash, uh, as we like to call it, uh, up with the uh, NC, uh, the um, ESPN, uh, ESPN folks. folks. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It, uh, it, it I'm, I'm I'm excited, looking forward to it. Uh, you and I had the opportunity, as, as our listeners know, to be with Coach over the summer. I got an email from him last week. I I commented and said I was sorry to hear about the passing of your of uh, Lavelle Edwards. He sends me an email back. He says, "Yeah, he was one of my closest coaching buddies," and then went on to tell me about I'd left him a, a book last summer on uh, General uh, Marshall, and he says I'm about two thirds away through that thing. That's thick book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coach. All right, it's uh, so it's thicker than the Wildwood phone book you're suggesting. Very much so. Yeah, we'll, we'll wrap things up right after this on the front row. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Not much time, but uh, Keith, fire away. One last thing. Hats off. Hats off to the uh, staff, the Renegade handlers, whatever, for Renegade. Uh, We were up in the box. Uh, Osceola came out, Renegade. He stumbled. Textbook handling of that animal. Handler was right there. Osceola knew to get off, held the spear up. You know, one of the things that uh, bull folk are worried about is having an animal of that size on the field with that many people. And and Florida State gets special permission. And because of the job that uh, the Durham family does and the, the handlers do, that's why Osceola is allowed to perform. And it was unfortunate that he stumbled. But textbook recovery by the handlers and the staff of Osceola. Hats off to you guys. And and Alan Durham did want to express uh, that, uh, as you know by now, I'm sure, but horse and rider are both okay, and he appreciated uh, the Seminole Nation uh, reaching out. And uh, that said, uh, all in all, we're, we're fin- we've done as much damage as we can do in this first show in 2017. But the good news is, Keith, there's 51 more weeks of the year, so there's a lot more damage to be done. Folks, you have something to live for. <laughs> He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week here in the front row.